Welcome to the Rich Roll Podcast, episode 76, with Osher Gunsberg. The Rich Roll Podcast. Hey, everybody, welcome to the show. I'm Rich Roll. I am the host of this little digital nugget coming into your earbuds today. Uh, each week, I bring to you the best, the most forward-thinking, paradigm-busting minds in health, fitness, wellness, diet, nutrition, spirituality, creativity, entrepreneurship, and entertainment. How y'all doing today? Uh, The goal is to motivate and inspire you to take your life to the next level, to help you discover, unlock, and unleash your best, most authentic self. Boom. That's right. Today's guest. Hmm. Let's see. Osher Gunsberg. Uh, born Andrew Gunsberg. If you're from Down Under, maybe you know him as Andrew G. <sighs> Who is this guy? Um, well, it's interesting because uh, I don't know him in the context that most people know him. So I pulled up his Wikipedia page and uh, I wanted to see what it had to say. And basically it says, Osher Gunsberg is an Australian television and radio presenter who is best known as the host of the reality series Australian Idol. He is also known for his hosting roles on Channel V, which I understand is like the Australian MTV. Lived to dance on CBS here in the United States with Paula Abdul and also host of The Bachelor in Australia. That's what he was doing this past year. So again, if you're down under, you might have caught him on TV. And now he is a podcast host, The Osher Gunsberg Show. And we talk about that a little bit today. It's up on iTunes. So good on you, mate. Whatever. Uh, I guess that stuff's cool. Um, But that's not why he's on the show. Um, You know, I know, I guess he's huge down under. Uh, That's what they tell me. But uh, this is not the context in which I know Osher. I met Osher about a year ago through some mutual friends, and uh, we just became buddies. He's become one of my closer friends uh, out here in Los Angeles over the last year. And he's one of those guys that uh, I can just call up anytime and uh, talk about stuff, talk things through with him. Uh, He always has a comforting uh, ear and uh, a sagacious uh, little piece of wisdom that tends to help me throughout my day. And uh, he's a guy that I can enjoy a long trail run with or a bike ride with. And and so that's the Osher that I know. And uh, I can hear you saying it already. It's like, of course you like this guy. He looks exactly like you. What is this kind of some kind of crazy self-love situation going on here. Ah, Yeah, I know. So if you've seen the photo uh, that accompanies this episode, uh, it's on richroll.com or I've shared it on Twitter, et cetera. Um, You will notice that uh, our likeness, uh, the similarity in which we look is pretty eerie. He looks like my twin brother or something, or like it's two sides of the same person. Uh, The resemblance is comical, I admit we're wearing like the same glasses. We have the same stubble. We're both wearing a V-neck white t-shirt. We appear to have the same hairdo. And uh, yeah, that's funny. That's why I use that photo. (laughs) And uh, I like to joke that he's sort of my doppelganger or brother from another mother. Uh, In truth, we actually don't look all that much alike. There was just something weird about that photo where it came out looking like we were twins. But in truth, we... we, uh, I think it's pretty easy to tell us apart. And the bigger truth is that Osher is much more handsome and charming uh, than I am. And as far as charm, you will soon find that out. 
but I guess that doppelganger comparison doesn't quite even stop there. I mean, Osher is a he's a plant based dude like me. He's a longtime vegan. He's a distance runner, a marathoner. He's a re- recent uh, cycling convert. I'm trying to get him to sign up for his first triathlon. Uh, and if you're a longtime listener to the show, then you might remember that I had him on uh, back in May, episode 30, I think. Uh, but in that context, I had Asher on to interview me uh, because he is such a pro. He's such a professional broadcaster uh, at all of this stuff. And he was a logical choice to be the person to interview me, uh, something that I thought at the time would be fun to correspond with the release of the paperback version of Finding Ultra. And we had a really good time doing that. But the more I got to know Osher, the more I realized he has a really interesting story in his own right. And that's a story that uh, I really wanted to help tell. And like some of our previous guests, you know, he sort of, it's easy to put him up on a pedestal, oh, TV host, you know, The Bachelor, you know, Australian Idol, all this kind of stuff. But, you know, much like all of us, he's a guy who's struggled with many things in his life that I think we can all relate to, things like weight and diet, uh, talking to women, uh, and a guy who, you know, was determined to find a way out of a situation when he was younger that that was, I guess... um, compromising where he wanted to go in life. And more than that, uh, we have a really interesting discussion about divorce. Uh, Osher got divorced not that long ago. Um, In particular, how our society is configured, because of the way our society is configured, how it can be so difficult for men in particular to heal from this kind of experience in a healthy way. And, you know, divorce is something that tons and tons of people go through, obviously. And um, I, I'm not sure that there are the resources available uh, to men to kind of weather uh, the storm that comes with that as there are for women. And that's a really kind of interesting thing that we talk about today. Um, and, you know, Osher's a guy who found a way uh, through all of this uh, with a core set of principles to ground, orient, and guide his emotional and mental, physical energy and overall life trajectory. So if you're going through something like this, some of the same things, I think you'll find today's discussion really, really interesting. And to top it off, Osher's just a good bloke, and let's just say he's quite the professional when it comes to conversation. So doing a podcast with him makes me look good and my job easy. So that's good. (laughs) At least it's good for me, I suppose. So there you have it. Uh, Without further ado, I hope you enjoy today's show, introducing Osher Gunsberg. Hi, I'm Osher Ginsberg, and I'm a professional talking person. That's exactly what you are. I say stuff for money. <laughs> well, the ch- I'll, I'll pay you when we're done. How's that? <laughs> I know we had a deal coming in. We negotiated it. We have a contract. And what, your day rate, what you're getting today for the podcast. I thought you stopped being a lawyer. I, I, st- I had to deal with your agent and your manager. I thought you stopped being a lawyer, Rich. No, I did. <laughs> I'm trying not to be. You're the one who's putting up all the roadblocks. <laughs> get uh, out of what here. I had to go through to get you over to the garage. Well, firstly, today. what I can't believe is I'm sitting in your amazing house up here in the mountains in Los Angeles, and I'm the idiot that brings a kale shake to Rich Roll's house. <laughs> I know. I said you should be penalized for bringing a kale shake here, but I embrace that as you're enjoying it here. It's really good. In your, um, what else is in it? Oh, man. What have I got today? 
Well, I've started blanching my kale and it's been really good since I've been blanching my how kale. Do you, how do you blanch it? Uh, well, the trick, I get up and with sleepy eyes, I just rip it up and throw it in a pot of water and p- put it to boil. Uh-huh. Then I load everything else in the Vitamix and kind of pre-blend to make a bit of room. And then by the time that's done, the, I just let the kale boil for like a minute or two, then drain it off, rinse it in cold water and throw it in. And it just just goes down way easier. I know that someone sent me a very scary article about oxalates. Or oxalates, whatever. yeah. I mean, that's the, but, that's the thing that suddenly everybody is all up in arms about It just oxalates. tastes a lot better as well. It just goes down quite easier. Right. I used to have it so, raw, man. The idea, uh, and I'll probably botch this and get crucified for it, but the, the essential idea with this oxalate issue is that if you don't uh, cook your kale or some other dark leafy greens like spinach, that there are these oxalates that are, I don't exactly know what the purported sort of toxic byproducts of that are, um, but I've read both sides of it. I know Dave Asprey has written about this. He uh, wrote a post, uh, something like how to make your kale shake bulletproof or whatever. Mm-hmm. It goes into all this sort of thing. Yeah. And then I've read other articles that say this concern about oxalates is way overblown and there are so many other foods that have more oxalates in them than these dark leafy greens and nobody says anything about that it's hard to figure out what's clickbait and what's not clickbait it gets confusing when there are conflicting opinions and you don't you know what i mean and uh i don't know i've been drinking kale smoothies for eight years on a daily basis and i have i don't seem to have an issue but it also just like i'm saying it just goes down easier right like my stomach is fine having Mm -hmm. it raw but just it's a little smoother when it's when it's blanched, what else is in there today? Yeah. A chunk of ginger, like heaps of ginger. Um, oh, what else did I throw in today? Just whatever was around. Spinach, coconut oil, a bit of flax. Um, the guys down in Sydney, down in the Gold Coast in Australia, send me up. This guy's, uh, they run a company called Body Science. They send me mm-hmm. up some um, uh, some whole food powder, which is really interesting. And they do a... Uh, like meal replacement kind of thing? No, no, no. no. It's like, a, it's like they've thrown it in the, like it's dried and ground. It's a powder. But what is it supposed to, what does it have? In oh, it? it's just heaps of multivitamins and stuff like that. It's actually, mm-hmm. it's kind of like a black label. They don't sell it. Right. So it's actually kind of nice being on the inside from a supplement company. Uh-huh. <laughs> I know you had a mate up the street who used to feed you um, scientific concoctions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Compton Rom. He lives in Utah. Actually, we're leaving for Utah tomorrow and I was hoping to see yeah. him on that trip. Oh, right. I'm not going to um, be able to, but I got to get him on the podcast. I think I threw a lemon in there today. So, uh, fun. and, and, you know, we're at what it's almost one o'clock in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. So this is not like the, uh, first thing out of the bed. This looks like something maybe you made when you got up, you had a little bit when you woke up and now you've, yep. you're nursing it in a huge Mason jar. Yeah. Well, that's, that Mason jars that's what are, I do. you know, people give me shit about it cause like, Oh, what's with Mason jars in Venice? I'm like, you don't have to come to Venice if you don't want, but if you arrive, <laughs> you'll find there's mason jars. I thought here. you were going to say you don't have to. You don't have to have a mason jar, or yeah. you don't have to have a mason jar to be in Venice, and you don't have to be in Venice to have a mason yeah, jar. Yeah, right. But that, not everything. I just it's just a really convenient way to store stuff, and it's not plastic, and you can wash it, and you can use it a jillion times. And right. um, but yeah, so I'll I'll get up in the morning and um, I'll make like a full Vitamix tub of this, and I'll probably drink. The, what, what's I don't know American is that a, a quart what is that it looks like about a quart that's no, a, about a, a just bit. a bit over a liter in my, yeah. my language um, I'll have that in the morning and then it probably makes like another one and a half of them mm-hmm. so this is the lunch one mm-hmm. and I'll maybe have the other one around and are you are you just going full liquid um, or are you eating I don't know I have, I have fruit I have fruit as well just kind of through the day mm-hmm. and then and that's fine I'm totally fine with that and then, like, if I'm going on a ride or something like that, I'll just take 
like the other day I had a three banana ride. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just right. throw bananas in the back of my shirt, uh-huh. in the back of my jersey and, and go cycling. And then with some dates as well. I take dates with me when I'm on the, on the road. Mm-hmm. And then I come home and at the end of the night I usually just make a – just a big bowl. It's a kind of like the the bowl version of the kale shake. It's like whatever's around, as long right. as there's a grain, some legumes, and just like lots of green and veggies in there. I'll just make whatever's around and throw it in there and throw some salsa on. That's pretty much it. Uh-huh. Sorry, <laughs> it's not really that complicated. Yeah, I know. Well, there's always this idea that it, that there must be some secret. Like, what's the what's the special secret that you're not telling everyone? And it's really just super basic stuff, you know. Yeah. And a lot of times, it's just I say it all the time, but it's just what I happen to have in the fridge or what's in the pantry that day. Mm. And there's always some kind of quinoa or yeah. long grain or beans or some kind of dark leafy greens mm-hmm. and you just make a huge bowl like you would get at Cafe Gratitude. Totally. And 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 I just throw some salsa and I was in uh, South Carolina over the um, New Year's break and I went to like the most amazing hot sauce store. It was like mm-hmm. incredible, like the mecca of hot sauce stores. And I, I just bought all this great hot sauce and had it shipped back and so every night it's like ooh it's going to be tonight different kind of hot sauce <laughs> well it's great because you know though I'm not really that much of a fussy eater you know my ex used to say that she was a far more fussy eater than I was and I'm the one that had the res- apparently restrictive diet and mm-hmm. I really I will eat anything as long as it's not made of animals right. that's pretty much it and so the first question is do all does your massive fan base back in your <laughs> homeland down under do they know that you're uh, that you're plant based yeah you're out of the closet on this totally yeah. um, what is it it's my brother's birthday today one of, I'm one of four boys and um, it's my brother's birthday today which means I'm six weeks away from my birthday um, where I'll be 40 mm. so I'll be 40 in six weeks um, I'm going to talk to you about later because the thing I'm yeah. going to do on my 40th birthday I want to ask you about. Um, and I've been vegan since I was 28 or what uh. people would call vegan since I was 28. I still shoot film, which is made of cows. That's mm-hmm. it. Deal with it. Um, <laughs> it's like, right. So, uh, vegan, so vegan dietarily and yeah. with respect to other products in your life. Well, I don't. Like I don't wear – like if I'm going to go to a giant award ceremony – I'm going to wear leather shoes mm-hmm. and that's for my, me and my karma to deal with and it's got nothing to do with anybody else. It's mm-hmm. the same with my diet. My diet's got nothing to do with anybody. I'm not judging anyone or anything. They can do whatever. Everyone can do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. This is my decision on how I treat my health um, and my choice on how I impact my environment mm-hmm. and the leather products I own, I you know, I have that, like the opening scene of Last of the Mohicans, I have that moment when I put the shoes on. Mm-hmm. Like, like, thank you for giving me this child so I can win. Uh-huh. So, um, but so yeah, I stopped. So, uh, but I was vegetarian for about 25, I think. Uh-huh. But vegan was only eggs and honey. Right. So what happened when you were 25 and what happened when you were 28? Um, well, do you want the story? Yeah, I want the story. Is uh, it okay. a good story? Huh? Is it, if it's a good story. Oh, yeah, it's a All story. Right. All right, Tell so I was... Um, uh, I was eight years old when I was in Weight Watchers for the first time, mm. which is pretty much AA for fat people. Mm-hmm. Uh, eight I'm, in Weight Watchers? I was eight. How overweight eight. were you? Did, uh, I mean, they, I they even let kids in at Weight Watchers? Yeah, totally, mate. Totally. Oh. I went with my mom. Um, what, um, I don't know, was it 2.25 pounds to a kilogram? I think something like that, yeah. Yeah, right. So I was 48 kilograms when I was mm-hmm. eight. So that's what, 100 and mm-hmm. watts. I don't do math. I was big. 
and ashamed, right. and it was awful. And, and very, uh, very formative years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and I dropped that, but then it came back very quickly. And then so, going through puberty quite overweight was very tricky. There's something that the body does. I'm not quite 100% sure, mm-hmm. of it, but there's something that the body does. Goes, oh, this is how many fat cells we're going to need to rest. Right, of our it lives. locks it in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So here we go. So even though I eat the way I eat and I train the way I train, I, I still struggle. Mm-hmm. I still struggle, um, even now. Um, and then all through kind of high school and teenage years, the fridge was my friend and it was a lot of compulsive eating and, you know, the food that was around. My parents are both, have both been refugees at one point in their life mm-hmm. and anyone who's had a refugee parent will know that um, – shoving vast amounts of food into your children is victory over the oppressors. Right, there's no, uh, yeah, there's no waste Yeah, it's like, right. <laughs> like, fuck you, Hitler. <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. Uh, the grandmothers and like... What it, is the refugee story? Um, my mom uh, was in Lithuania um, when the Russians came, actually. So they fled with the retreating German army. They would, you know, they got out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a, there's a longer story that, you know, my grandma, who's not with us, she um she actually when the when the Germans were already in uh you know she rescued some of the, of the Jewish girls from the town and there was a lot of mm. kind of cloak and daggery going on with my grandmother at the time and but anyway when the when the Russians came and they drove the they drove the Germans out they're like well the Germans are bad but the Russians are worse mm-hmm. so they got out of there mm-hmm. they, well they fled the front but they ended up back in Berlin. Oh, not Berlin. They were in Bar Edberg, no, that town. And, they, were um, in, they were in Germany after they, Germany. They were in Germany after, yeah, after, you know, when the Allies got liberated it mm-hmm. and they ended up, they tried to come to America, but my aunt had a cough they thought was tuberculosis. And so they got on the boat and they came to Australia, at Adelaide in Australia, mm-hmm. which is, if you've been in a country that's had, you know, fascists marching over your borders, because, uh, you know, Unlike Americans and Australians don't really have the idea, but like, for right. example, where we're sitting, like on the other side of that hill could be like a, a mile that way is uh, people with different political ideals that want to mm-hmm. come over and destroy your way of life. Mm-hmm. It doesn't quite, can, people can't quite conceive it in, you know, uh, America or Australia, but that's the absolute reality of Europe. And Australia is like, well, they're never going to come here. That's <laughs> <laughs> about so, as far away as you can get. About as far away as they can get. Also, so, you, it sort of begs the question of like, well, why is everyone going to New York and Philadelphia? Like, let's go to Australia. Yes. You know, I mean, was there, was, there, was there a wave of that, of people going to Australia? Um, I don't know. Well, it's a longer story, but at the time, my country had a thing called the White Australia Policy, and it's an absolute fact. It was a governmental policy to only let white-skinned immigrants mm. in. And my family, my mum was from Lithuania, and they... Mm-hmm. They came into that. Um, my dad uh, was, he grew up in Prague and during the Prague Spring in 68, when again, the Russians came, mm-hmm. his family and friends were like, you better get out of here, man, right. because the communists are coming and you're an educated man. And so he split in the middle of the night with nothing, right. like less than what I've got in my little satchel here. So growing up <laughs> under that kind of, you know, cultural uh you know, regime that your parents experienced, your grandparents. I mean, there's there must be some level of, you know, a lot of times that that goes hand in hand with a lot of fear and a lot of, you know. Um, oh, yeah, all of that. You know, don't go out in the world because everyone's out to get you. And There you was know, a lot. Was, I mean, you know but what, what do you like, expect, yeah, man? That's, no, that's, I mean, I'm, I'm sympathetic to that. But then, but then for, you know, I've seen, I know, I know plenty of people that are children of Holocaust survivors. And it's a very specific 
sort of um, mentality under which to you know grow up. It's called under. it's called survivor syndrome, and mm-hmm. it does affect second generation people like myself because they their survival. Like my like you look at how much effort you put into the early childhood care of your your kids. You've got young kids, mm-hmm. and how much effort you put into making sure they feel safe and well and blah blah blah. blah. My mum was still in refugee camp when she was as old as your oldest daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's just it's 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 almost impossible to imagine. You know, and so she, the, all the social stuff that people are supposed to learn when they're little kids. Now, both my parents are great, they're wonderful people. They raised four boys. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they both they both still work. They're both doctors. You know, mm-hmm. they they push through. But there was there mm-hmm. was a lot, and and around food, that was, food was definitely like the ah, right. we won. Right, everything's great. Eat, kids, eat, 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 eat. eat. All right, so you're eight years old, and you're. Tremendously overweight. You're in Weight Watchers, and then you try to lose a little bit of weight. It comes back on. You, yeah, yeah. You, you develop these <laughs> fat cells that aren't going away, and lots you, of compulsive You're launching eating. into uh, pubescence with uh, yeah, with a you know, and it was it was that great hands. shame spiral of eating. I felt right. terrible about being fat, so what made me feel better eating? So and there was one point it got horrible. At one point, I was drinking three liters of of which is nearly a gallon of Coca Cola mm-hmm. a day. Like colossal amounts of was sugar, it like in high school. Yeah, sixteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one summer, I was just, and that's when I got really big. I was just drinking all this Coca Cola over the summer. I was, you know, it was a summer's break. We were like this, like we're sitting in Rich's garage where um, there's all this band equipment set up, set up, and that was my summer. Was just jamming with my friends in a garage all right. summer long and drinking Coca Cola mm-hmm. all day, and then just eating burgers and just eating terribly. And then I ended up, uh, I topped out when I was 17. I topped out at 112 kilograms, which is, I should really wow. do some maths here. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Do, you have, do you have pictures of that or did you destroy um, all the evidence? Unfortunately, <laughs> fortunately or unfortunately, there were some massive floods in my hometown of Brisbane and um, all those oh, photos wow, got, all got, got gone. Right. Got gone. <laughs> it's hard to imagine looking at you. I mean, trim, athletic, fit, you know, sort of television personality, good looks and all of that. 252 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. That was it. Wow. Yeah. And I, 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 I stayed that big. That. Yeah, I stayed that big 250 for- 250 pounds in high school. Yeah. And not because you're on the football team. No. Nah. And I lost my virginity when I was 252 pounds. You well. was, that's not, that was pretty awesome. Well, you are charming. <laughs> I think that did that did that uh, <laughs> did you did you sort of have to develop uh, you know that charm that sort of twinkle in your I, eye I have no I have no doubt I have no doubt that my career developed out of the coping mechanism. Well, you're that forced I, to you have you have to have a personality. Yeah. You know, I have no doubt that my career as a broadcaster, as a television host, as a person who has a personality that is comfortable with being in front of everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, developed because of my coping mechanism mm-hmm. um and so but by the time i was and that was like 17 and then alcohol came into it and then like my, then i'm 18 and i'm not only eating terribly i'm like drinking 2000 calories a day because mm-hmm. i don't know what you know about it's the, australia the drinking culture in my country <laughs> is i think there's parts of the south that would be similar parts of like texas and new orleans and stuff like that where mm-hmm. it's what are you doing well it's noon fair enough right <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know, just cracking beers um, because it, the day ends in a Y. Yeah. Um, and in Australia, when you're 18, it was definitely that. It's just, I just remember weekends where it was just like cases of beer mm-hmm. each. So, did you have like a bottom? Did you bottom out on this? Or what was the moment where y- you woke up and decided that you needed to do something different? Well, I was 19. I was unemployed. And I just simply couldn't afford 
to eat the way I was eating. I couldn't afford the burgers. I couldn't afford meat. So I started eating just rice and vegetables because that's what I could afford. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that as my diet cleaned up and as I stopped, I was eating meat just once a week because that's what I could afford. On doll day, because I, I was unemployed, I was on the unemployment benefits. On doll day when the check came in, mm-hmm. I went and got myself a little tiny piece of steak, which is probably not even the size of my palm. Uh-huh. All right. And that was like, ooh, 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 that was my right. treat for the week. But I noticed but that you as saved, I, you, because you needed beer money probably, right? Well, there was you got to save that. I think I, ate, I, think I, I was drinking less as well because I just didn't have the cash. And then as I noticed that as I cleaned up my diet, as I just ate simpler, I started to drop the weight a lot. And as well as that, um, I, um, all the weird rashes and, and stuff just kind of kind of went away because mm-hmm. I, was, I was a kid. I was allergic to a lot of stuff. This also combined with two dear friends of mine, Michael and Luke. Um, they were always super fit in high school and they just said, hey, man, you, you know, we're doing sprint training at the park. Do you want to come down? Mm-hmm. And so I started – I actually learned before that because I was unemployed. I was like – I had – I don't recommend unemployment because um, I knew I was smart but I couldn't find a gig. Mm-hmm. And What were you trying to get a gig in? Like why, what, what landed you in unemployment? Um, because I didn't try very hard in high school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're you're really overweight in high school, but I'm I'm starting to get the impression that you were still you weren't like an outcast. Like you had friends. You were ah. Uh, I, I, I when I look back on it, it, I I cast myself out because I was I was quite angry and fearful of everything and everyone. So I was difficult to be around. Mm-hmm. And so when it came to you know needing super close friends, I became much closer with people way after high school. But when it came to having super close friends, I kind of isolated myself mm-hmm. quite a bit. Um, and that was a real drag, but I did it anyway. Um, anyway, rice and beans and sprint training. Yeah, well, it was before that. It was actually the walking, man. I was unemployed and I'm like, I'm never going to get a job feeling like this or looking like this. I was super depressed. I'm like, no matter what, if I can't, it, I'll just be ready. Mm-hmm. I'll just be ready for whatever happens. So I just started walking. And so I started walking like at first, like 20 minutes out and 20 minutes back. And then and I was big, man. And mm-hmm. then I would walk maybe half hour out, half hour back. And then I ended up going on these walks. I would walk for like two, three hours, man, because I had nothing else to do. Mm-hmm. This is before the internet. Mm-hmm. Daytime television was boring. Right. So I would just walk and I would walk for like sometimes three, four hours at a time. And I noticed that the depression and the, and the anxiety was definitely getting alleviated by the physical activity because it was horrible. I was like really depressed and I wasn't mm-hmm. going out of the house. I wasn't leaving the house. It was pretty a weird time in my life. I was very different to how I am now. And, um, and I, I would just go on these massive long walks and then one day I just felt like running. I was just like, oh, I, I just it was like, mm-hmm. I don't know. You, know. you know what it's like at the start of a, of a, of a, of a, of a timed foot race when there's like 10,000 people around you and the gun goes off and you're like, I'm going to stick to eight minutes yeah. 30 for the first two miles and then I'm going to go 745 <laughs> for the next one. And, and you, you just, whoa, six and minute just, first mile. Yeah. It just, you know, you get the smell in your nostrils and all of a sudden you're just firing. So I ran probably <clears throat> the distance between here and your gate. That's how far apart the telephone pole oh, It's was. about 100 so yards. It's about 100, 100 feet. Yeah. 100, that's not 100 yards. Is it? No. Nah, right, 100 feet. 50, 50, no, 100 feet. So I ran twice that. 
the first day I ever ran. I was like, I was like this blood coursing through my veins. I'm like, oh, I had to run because I was just going to explode if I didn't run. Is that I, if, out of anxiety and oh, just it know. just felt it was just rose within me. Like I had to run. I had to let this out of me. I had to run. It was no question. I just burst into this run and I just feel this energy coursing through my veins and I'm running with terrible form. I don't care. And I'm like, and 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 I stopped. My lungs are screaming and I'm sweat pouring out of me. I look around and yeah, I've run. Twice that. I've run like through 200 feet. <laughs> and I'm like, <gasps> I've got a stitch. My intercostal uh-huh. muscles are cramping. I'm like, wow. And then I walked the rest of the way. And the next day, that was a distance between two telephone poles. The next day, I ran one extra telephone pole. And the next day, I ran mm-hmm. one extra. So not even an extra half, an extra, like I, mm-hmm. I ran an extra 15 meters, or 20 meters. Mm-hmm. And that eventually came to the point where I started running, just jogging like a mile and then it was a mile and a bit and it was like slowly 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 more and more and more and more to the point where i was i was able to run for 40 minutes 45 minutes and like that's when everything like weight really started to drop off and that's when michael and luke said hey we see you're enjoying running why don't you come and run with us and exercise became something really fun that i was doing with my friends not something that an angry man with a beard and a whistle was screaming at me and humiliating mm-hmm. me to do in front of people at school mm-hmm. and it's interesting though because it really does boil down to that one moment where you just felt compelled to run 100 feet for some you were I just not, you were possessed to do not, that i couldn't not i mean when it. you think back on that and you look at it you know, what is your, what is your evaluation of what was going on? Like what compelled that moment? I mean, you know, you could make the argument that, that, you know, some sort of spirit moved you in a way that you can't understand. I mean, that set in motion quite a bit for you. Absolutely. It changed everything. And within, cause I'm 17. No, no, I was 19. I'm only 19. And you clean your diet up that much and you start doing those kind of runs in, in a combination with sprint training two or three nights a week with some friends. I dropped, I'm going to have to get my math down now. So I can tell you what I was doing. Um, so I'm just doing the pounds to kilograms yeah, yeah, calculations yeah. <laughs> as we go here. Uh, 20, uh, I should really know this stuff. Like that. So I dropped in the course. Uh, I got under the ton. So I got under. I got to about 97. I was because I was working as a mm-hmm. roadie, so I was lifting stuff, and so I was. I got under 100. So I was about mm-hmm. 97 kilograms. Then when I started this stuff, I dropped from about 97 to 73 which is about mm-hmm. 60 pounds and mm. about seriously man it's about so what four, is that that about, comes out to what something like 175 180 or something like that yeah yeah but i did that in about three months wow yeah it was that rapid mm-hmm. because i'd changed everything so fast to the point where i would go to the pub that you know we would always go to because it was brisbane I'd sit next to guys I went to school with and they couldn't recognize me. Mm. I dropped that much weight that fast. And um, what did that do to your, you know, psyche? Oh, girls were looking at me. I was like, what's this? Because girls had never looked at me. Mm-hmm. And it was all of a sudden like, Whoa, this is weird. But I'd also been to an all-boys school and I only ever had mate, mates who were guys. So mm-hmm. I also had no idea how to talk to girls. So I was actually quite afraid of it. Mm-hmm. Um, That's hard to imagine right now. Oh, no, dude. It, I, <laughs> my first girlfriend, bless her, Simone, um, I know she listens to your show. So hi, Simone. Uh, Thank you. She's a dear, dear, dear woman. She's a dear friend still. She's got three beautiful kids. She basically took me by the hand and said, listen, here's how it works. Uh Yeah, and she Because she saw that I was just this, a guy that I went to an all boys school. I've only had brothers. All my friends were guys. I just didn't know how to relate to women at all. Yeah. And she, bless her. Are you, uh, how are your brothers older? I'm the second of four. So so I've got one older. You didn't have an older brother? I have one older brother. He he couldn't be your mentor through this? Um, 
he was uh, very. He was he was who'd moved out when he was seventeen. It's uh, back in the day when you right. moved out, man. You mm-hmm. actually used to leave home in the olden days. Mm-hmm. He left. He was gone. He was at university, you know, shouting loudly about it, you know, mm-hmm. at rowdy university meetings at, you know, at one in the morning. Um, by the time I was this, yeah. So he was he already moved so out. So Simone was your tutor. She well, as far as like how this is how you actually talk to girls. Yeah, uh-huh. bless her. So, so this this is there's still several years though before you embark on this vegetarian vegan. Well, thing. so I move in with my first girlfriend, um, and she's lactose intolerant. So I stopped eating dairy. Mm-hmm. And if one thing I tell anybody, it's that the most fundamental, most profound change that occurred in my life and my body was when I stopped eating dairy. And this is before not eating meat was even on the wasn't even on the horizon. I didn't even realize it existed at this point. Mm-hmm. Vegetarians to me were weird, but not eating dairy was fine. And when I stopped eating dairy, my I could taste things differently. My skin cleared up. I was doing a lot of voiceovers. I was working in radio at the time, so I could hear. You know, you're listening to headphones all the time. You can hear your own voice, which a lot of people don't normally hear their own voice. I could hear my throat clear up. I could hear all the you know, like, pardon. I'm sorry if you're eating. All the phlegm went away. The mm-hmm. snot disappeared. I, I was just kind of like I would sniffle like all year round, even when I didn't have a mm-hmm. cold. Um, and then it was a few years after that, it kind of culminated in, I met someone who kind of talked to me and the first time, again, it was before the internet, you just didn't find out about stuff until mm-hmm. people told you. And this person explained to me and we talked about the amount of land required to make a kilogram of plant protein versus a kilogram of animal protein and the amount of energy and water required to make both and mm-hmm. the efficiency and inefficiency of each farming process. And I thought to myself, that is just... That doesn't make any sense at all. That does, why would I support something so completely inefficient? Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of floating around in my head. And I was 24. So it was more of an environmental yeah. kind of logical yeah. rationale as opposed to... I mean, most people, they get into it because of compassion for the animals. I like that for, I don't have to kill anything for, to live. Right, yeah, yeah. I yeah. like that. I'm really grateful. But it's weird that you took a road that was kind of... That's kind of Right in the in between those two things, I guess in a certain. Well, respect. I like human beings. Animals are ace. All right, I love animals. They're great. But if it's going to be between you, my friend, and a quadrupedal mammal that I cannot communicate with, I'm going to choose you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really am. However, what's going to sustain you and I longer is a more sustainable, you know, food uh, source for both of us. Mm-hmm. And the more sustainable food source isn't perhaps. Animal protein, right? Um, yeah, and it's interesting that that also you. I'm not saying it is or isn't. I'm just saying it isn't right. perhaps. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to say yeah, that I, I know you. everything about the economics of food supply. Uh, just for me personally, and as I said earlier, it's a very personal decision. Um, it's it's the same thing. Like people ask me all the time, so why do you do it? I said, when you moved into your apartment, did you put in the little squirrely light bulbs? And I said, yeah, the curly ones that, that don't look like the old ones. I said, yeah. So why did you do that? Oh. Because it looks after the environment. So do you really believe that in the city of Los Angeles of 18 million people, that your one light bulb makes a difference? And I go, yeah. I say, well, that is why my one plate of just vegetables is in front of me. Because mm-hmm. I believe that one plate makes a difference. And that's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. And, I, and I, I, it's interesting that you embarked on it first 
with the dairy end of the equation as opposed to the most people. They do the meat first, and then they get Don't to they the, they say, work oh, down and work down cheese. to the dairy. I know. And for me, well, that was my experience. Like I had a hard time kicking the dairy, but I had a similar experience that when I did, that was the biggest. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I didn't feel that different not eating animals. I didn't make a huge difference in how I felt, but w- when I stopped eating the dairy, was that was a profound difference in how I felt. Not eating meat for me as well, and, and this, you know, I don't know if people have shared this with you before, but I noticed a distinct drop in how angry I used to get. Mm. I used to get quite angry mm-hmm. about nothing. And I noticed I just felt so much more peaceful when I wasn't eating red meat. Mm-hmm. And that was... That was worth the price of admission because it was tumultuous trying to live with that. Right. So are you saying between the lines, basically, you're saying that, that by not taking in that, the vibration of a tortured animal, that you are not sort of somehow inhabiting that, that kind of energy? I don't know. Is if that what you're saying? I don't know I mean, if it's that, but I do know that there was a film called, there was a lot of things. It's not like I went, you know, I read the China study and that's it. I'm done. It was, it was a long time. It took a while. But I remember seeing a film called Baraka. Which is that's like a classic stoner film. Totally. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that was a time in my life yeah. when weed was a part of the picture on a daily level. Uh, it isn't anymore, thankfully. But I remember seeing this film called Baraka, which is like the Kainakatsi and Power yeah. Katsi kind mm-hmm. of films. It was like a Philip Glass soundtrack. There's like I think there was like three of them. There's oh, the, those of them, those right? ones there were three of them. Baraka, I think there was only one. Oh, there's one. Okay, but it's a f- phenomenal film. It's basically the, uh, it documents a day in the life of the planet. And there was one scene that took place in a chicken factory. A uh, factory farm for, for chickens, and they were debeaking chickens and then throwing them down a chute in slow motion, like 80 frames a second, slow motion. And then there was this panning shot from left to right of battery hens stacked four high, and they must have been a thousand wide. And it was this tracking shot that went for about four minutes or eight minutes, just. And I thought to myself, I don't want to eat anything that has lived like that because I don't want, as you, to, to what you said, I don't want that energy in my body. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Chickens were gone. Done with chickens. Mm-hmm. And so that, there was only red meat and fish from then. Now, I read a book. I was given a book at the radio station that I worked at. We often got, you know, there's books everywhere. People always send books in. I know you're an author. Don't ever send your book to a radio station. Yeah, it becomes a coaster. It. Yeah. It'll become a coaster <laughs> or it'll prop up a table. It's the same if you're a musician. Don't ever send your record to a radio station unless it's going with a rep because it'll become a Frisbee or, mm-hmm. or someone will put their coffee cup on it. Like, really, save your time and your money. Anyway, I was given this book uh, that had come in written, written by a, uh, a sportsman by the name of Greg Chappell. Now, for your American audience, there's a game that we play in Australia called Cricket. Never heard of it. Okay. It's like baseball in that the object is to hit a ball away from where you are and run a certain distance before the ball either comes back or gets caught. Okay. It's like cricket. If you, if baseball, if you didn't run in the diamond, if you just ran back and forth, it's pretty much the same rules. Mm-hmm. Similarly, so these games go on for like five days and it's brilliant. <laughs> cricket is amazing. There is nothing like it. There's nothing like watching a game for five days. It's incredible. Anyway. And our cricket players are superstars. They're gods, right? When you're a kid, the Australian cricket team at the time were just mm-hmm. heroes beyond heroes. It's like your baseball superstars. Mm-hmm. There was a guy called Greg Chappell who was the, he was, may as well have had a cape and his underpants on the outside. He was a superhero to me. He was unbelievable. He wrote this book called the, I have to find it, it's at my house, The Men's Health Handbook. 
similar to the vein of you, he's like in his 50s going, hang on, there's a better way to do this. And he's coming at it from a perspective going, it had nothing to do with animal rights, it had nothing to do with any kind of patchouli, it had nothing to do with mm-hmm. anything. It's just like I eat plant-based now and I am now in my 50s fitter, faster, better and and way more, way way sharper than I was when I was considered the absolute greatest at my sport on the planet. Mm-hmm. And that blew my mind because he missed out on – Don Bradman was the, the Babe Ruth of mm-hmm. cricket. He missed out on Bradman's record by just a hair, a hair. And he says in his book, if I ate the way I ate now, if I ate plant-based now, that record, no one would even speak about it. Mm-hmm. I would have destroyed it. He talks about playing England at the Melbourne Cricket Ground. There's 120,000 people that are on day three and he's waiting to bat, just grazing on cheese sandwiches, just grazing, mm-hmm. just eating cheese and white bread all day and then wandering out into the heat of the day, 50 degrees, Australian degrees. Sorry, there's a lot of metric to Fahrenheit yeah. conversion. <laughs> like, like how it gets in summer here, like 105, 100, right. like hot, man. And, and going out to bat with a, just a tummy full of – you know, lemonade mm. and cheese and white bread. Right. And that's what he I had. Mean, what in. year was this when he was playing? 70s, late 70s, right. early 80s, yeah. And he talks about that. And I was like, oh, right, yeah, of course. And then he – so that was the first time I'd kind of equated that's how I came to being a plant because I thought if this guy can do it, this guy who is considered, you know, he's the sports hero, he's mm. the macho, you know, king of men, he's the hero that we all look up to. He was the captain of the team. Like I told you, he was a superstar. Right. And he wrote, what's his book called? The Men's, the, the men's Health Handbook, the I men think. Health, so he's, this is in the handbook. This is the handbook on how to be a man. He's saying. According to him, And right? he's saying, if I ate just plants, then I would have been f- three times better than I was. Mm-hmm. And I was considered the greatest batsman in the world. And, and, and that now I'm fitter, faster, and healthier right. in my 50s than so I was then. This has this incredible incredibly profound impact on you. It seems like if he was such a hero there that, that this would have swept the nation. Every young man in Australia would be suddenly eating plant-based. Dude, the, um, <laughs> you should see the commercials in Australia for beef and lamb. Yeah. You should see the commercials. The amount of, the, the amount of emasculating they do of vegetarians in those commercials. And these are like giant lobbies. It's like well, emasculation is sort of a national pastime too, in terms of like yeah. skewering your your mates, right? Uh-huh. I mean, it's like an art form down yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. And I really, I couldn't give a fuck. <laughs> like, <laughs> really, I couldn't give two shits. People, you can eat whatever you like. I don't care. It's your body. But I did notice, like, and that was it. I went on one trip. I went on a trip back to Prague. I went back to Prague with my father thirty years after he had escaped mm. to the week, actually. And I filmed it. I filmed the whole thing. It's before I worked in television, but I was filming everything at the time. Um, and I had this kind of one last hurrah of eating the food that I'd grown up eating, but in the country that the recipes originally were. And mm-hmm. it was like, and that was, with a few exceptions, that was the last meat I ever ate. Mm-hmm. It was when I was in Prague and I came back to Australia. I'm like, that's it. I don't want to eat that way anymore. Right. And I was 24, September 90, September 98. Mm-hmm. And that was it. I'm like, mm-hmm. I think I was still eating fish, but only for about another six months. Right. Uh, and 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 what is the perception in Australia versus what it's like in Los Angeles for over what? eating this way? Um. Well, the public perception, I guess, it, I don't really know because I have a skewed. Uh, what's the God? 
damn it. Sample. I have a skewed sample mm-hmm. uh, of people that give me feedback, uh, of people that I know and people that see me on the telly and, you know, may not be giving me their honest opinion. Meaning, what, what do you mean specifically? I don't follow. Um, that no one really questions me uh-huh. for what I eat because they look at me. They see that I'm, you know, I'm fit. I run marathons. You know, I look right. the way I look. Like, must be working. But I think, I think generally, the same here, people are kind of frightened because they don't know. But the, there's definitely, you know, it's every, it happens all the time. There's, there's commercials in Australia for both from the lamb industry and the beef industry and the pork industry and also the dairy industry. Um, and vegetarians are always the butt of the joke. Mm-hmm. Always, particularly male vegetarians, right. always the butt of the joke. Mm-hmm. And it, I just point at, I'd point at people like you. I'm like, Really? Go to Ultraman twice. Because <laughs> that's what this guy did. But I'm, I'm talking more about, I mean, you live in Venice. I mean, there couldn't be a more hospitable place for you to live and eat, totally. the, and, and, it's the best. And eat plant-based. I mean, it's ridiculous. You, I mean, there's a juice bar on every corner. There's yeah. all these incredible restaurants and markets yeah. and all this sort of thing. So my question was really more about, like, is it, you know, how different is it in Melbourne, Adelaide, Ah, uh, right. So what's wild is that now there's a great tide moving towards cleaner eating in Australia and I couldn't be more happy about it. Uh, and that's, it's, it's great. I'm, you know, I'm just saying cleaner eating. I'm not saying mm-hmm. plant-based eating. I'm just saying cleaner eating. Um, people love the cooking shows down there. Love them mm-hmm. like crazy. Like they're prime time stripped there every night of the week, yeah. two hours, every night, same show, same people, different challenges, let's go. <laughs> and it's on and people are just cooking and the supermarkets have changed. What's available in the supermarkets have changed. There's entire aisles that are gluten-free down in Australia. Um, there's one particular chef. He doesn't talk about it too much publicly, but I will, till the cows come home, I, you know, I will talk about this guy. He's got a profile in America. His name's Curtis Stone. Mm-hmm. He works for a chain. Sure, I know down, he, is. Yeah. he works down there for a chain called Coles. And he's like, if I'm going to, and he, like, he's on all the billboards, he's on all the commercials. And he's like, if I'm going to do this, we have to talk about where your food comes from. We have to talk about what's in your food. And he's working super hard towards making uh, antibiotic free, you know, meat coming towards, you know, be it, be it chicken or beef. Right, he's sort of the Jimmy Oliver of Australia. Very much, very much. And he's, he's all about, here's how to feed your family a four for under 10 bucks and here's a balanced meal. It's not just like, here's something in a packet you're going to open and throw in the microwave. Here is, cook this and it'll take you 15 minutes. And here's all the ingredients that are right in front of you on the shelf. They're packed together. While you stand there, you just pick them up, put them in your right, trolley. Right, making it super easy and super accessible easy. and taking yeah, yeah. all the mystery and he's, out of He's it. all about sustainability and, and trying as hard as you can to, to get, you know, that... This is a company that supplies. It's one of the two big supermarkets in Australia. Supplies a massive amount of our country's, um, you know, food supply. Mm-hmm. And he's very much about pushing towards sustainability with where they get the food from. And it's gone, he's gone to like to a farmer level where he's had to right. they've had to like change farming practices. And good on him, I say, good on him. So as long as it just it makes people more aware of what they're putting in their mouths. And it's wonderful to see, man. It's wonderful to see. But, but again, I live in a part of Sydney. When I'm in Sydney, when I'm down there working for you know weeks at a time, I live in a part of Sydney that's very much like Venice. I live in a part of Sydney called mm-hmm. Bondi Beach, where it's like yes, I know it. Yeah, it's it's amazing, dude. It's great. But then you know, there's I'm afraid to go there. You should not be what because you might not come back. Yeah, that's exactly right. I actually heard last night a story of Lorenzo, Lorenzo Lamar, TV's Hercules. Yeah, he went down to Australia for a dog food commercial or something. He got there, shot the shot was there for a day, called his agent back in LA and said, <clears throat> push my ticket back six months, I'm staying. Wow. And that's exactly, he stayed yeah, there for I six could, months. And while that. he was down there, got the Hercules job. Oh, he did. Yep. 
He was a big star of my childhood. Yeah. Was it Renegade? Was I, that don't the show? I can't even remember the shows he was on, but, you know, 70s, early 80s, you know, yeah. television shows. So that's funny. I mean, speaking of uh, shifting gears a little bit, um, living in Venice and it being this sort of plant-based mecca of sorts. Yeah, it's pretty great. Um, I was... Uh, Just California generally. Yeah, it's good. Like, like last night I was at this rad restaurant on, uh, on Washington and Abbott Kinney. It's this beautiful new Italian place. I said, you know, do the thing that you always do when everyone else has ordered. You call the waiter over. You say, hey, man, I'm wondering if you do have it. He goes, oh, no, 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 the stew's vegan. Uh-huh. Like, of course it's vegan. I'm in Venice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you couldn't, you couldn't, uh, you wouldn't uh, last, I don't think, if you didn't at least offer options. Down there, that, yeah, in totally. That, in that but place, it's, it's in great, America, man. It's, so. it's, it's, it's great. But I think like as a path out of... Uh, allergy as well for a lot of people. It doesn't necessarily have to be a compassionate decision. Or you know, uh, for me, I had like I said, I had a lot of weird rashes and my skin was weird. Mm-hmm. And once I stopped eating dairy, all that stuff went away. And once I you know cleared up my food, everything else cleared up as well. My eyes were brighter. I could colors were different. It was f- profound. Well, I think even more kind of profound than that is really the extent to which you've been able to sustain this. You know, I'm sure you you mentioned earlier, like, oh, it's still, you still have to be vigilant about it or you have to kind of be on it. But Mm -hmm. it's not like you've been rubber banding back and forth between, you know, 210 and 175 or whatever it is you weigh right now. Like you're able to kind of keep it pretty even. Well, the thing is about when you get to Los Angeles, um, the pressure's on. Well, it's not that. It's that there's a place called. This is kind of before Whole Foods was massive, and I was living in Hollywood. There's a place called Erwan, which is right by CBS yeah. Television City. By the way, they're opening an Erwan right down the street. Here. Get out! Yeah, yeah. So I walk in there, and there's a tofu aisle. I'm not talking like a tiny little section next to the cream cheese where there's the one silken bleh tofu that's really hard to cook. I'm talking like an entire aisle of tofu. I was like, oh my god! So I went to town. I actually put on weight when I moved here. Mm. I put on a lot because I'm like, vegan cheesecake? Oh my God, tofurkey, wow. Well, this is the problem. Like it's it's never been easier to find plant-based options yeah. and to eat plant-based and there's a welcoming of it that didn't exist even a couple of years ago, uh, particularly in, in larger cities. But, you know, hand in hand with that are a tremendous array of plant-based alternatives to dairy and meat some of which are good and some of which are not good. Yeah. And they finally figured out how to make this stuff taste good, right? Yeah, I mean, right. not everything. There's still some, you know, there's still, they, I mean, Daya sort of tastes like cheese, I guess, but not really. I, I mean, they I'm haven't ne- really figured that out. I mean, there's some really people like, into that. but like Tal Ronan has these, he's the chef at, at Crossroads, which is an amazing restaurant in Los Angeles. And he has a, he has like a plant-based cheese line. The stuff is delicious. But the point is that, uh, it's it's easier than ever to be a junk food vegan. Yeah, that's basically get, what I was. Oh, look at this coconut milk ice cream. It tastes yeah. exactly like ice cream. You know. Oh, and you can trick yourself into thinking that this is healthy or good for yeah. you. Or, and which whatnot. I did. And uh, yeah, and it's very easy to go down that path of. And I did. I absolutely <laughs> did. I put I put the weight back on to the point mm-hmm. where um, it was two thousand and ten, and I I I was here. I was living in America. I got my green card. Um, and I, I came here to Idol had finished. I did Australian Idol for seven seasons. Um, was one of the hosts down there. Idol had finished, and I was here. And I'm like, that's it. I'm gonna do. I came to America. I'm gonna. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do network television. I'm gonna be here. I'm gonna do network television. Mm-hmm. Less than a year after I came with my green card full time, I landed a job on CBS doing a live primetime network show. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Like the 
top of the top of the mountain, man. The that great, was the one with, uh, with, with Paula. With Paula, Paula Abdul's Abdul, right. first job after American right. Idol. And it was the best, some of the best work I've ever done. On, and all the, all the work up to that point had, had led to this moment. And I, the way those shows work is you shoot the auditions and then the auditions get edited and then three months later you do the live stuff. So mm-hmm. there's this big gap in the shooting. So I turn up to the styling for the first uh, shoot here in, uh, actually in New York. But I, it was here. It was a, a very uh, eccentric stylist's house in uh, just in, on the, above Sunset, on the uh-huh. hills above Sunset. Uh, she styled the Pussycat Dolls. She's a I mean, she's very, very, very talented woman, and she has like five assistants. They're all beautiful women everywhere. La la la. And she has all these clothes. And I'm like, this is network job. I didn't want to say no to anything because mm-hmm. I just wanted to say yes and just do the job. And she puts me in this cardigan. And I buttoned it up and the buttons couldn't come together. And she's got this mirror in, that you cannot hide from. You know, it's a, it's a stylist house. It's mm-hmm. this mirror the size of the wall. And she was fussing through a clothes rack and she's pushing shirts and suits around. And I put this thing on. I said, I think I'm a bit too lumpy for this. And she just waved her hand at me. She goes, it's okay, honey. We'll get you a girdle. Ah. And I thought to myself, I did not leave my friends, my family to come here and do the job that I dreamed of doing, that I put out there, that I manifested, to get my green card to do primetime American TV. I am not going to do that job in a girdle. Mm-hmm. No fucking way. Mm-hmm. So the next day I called up uh, a woman that I'd trained with once or twice before, uh, Natasha Kufa, who's been, right, a, who's been on the podcast. A guest on the because podcast. Because you, you, we went out running that morning and you said – uh, we were with Pete. We were with Pete that morning. Remember? Yeah, Pete it? Williams. Yeah. yeah, and so he and so we were ta- we were chatting when we were running, and you're like, "You've got to get this woman on the podcast. Yeah, She's man. fantastic. She turned my life around. She got me she fit. Totally she did. was a great guest. She was one of the early. She was an early, She's an amazing woman. Show. And I met her at the Coffee Bean on um, Wilshire uh, down in Santa Monica. And I said to her, "We've got three months. Now I can't be like this in three months from now. I've got twelve weeks until we're live." I'm not going to go live looking like this. She goes, no problem. Let's go. And I dropped, I was my, I don't know, pounds, you know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, come on. Uh, you dropped uh, a lot of weight. I did. Hang on. <laughs> 14 times 2.5. I dropped in 12 weeks, dropped 35, 35 pounds, pounds in 12 weeks. Wow. She kicked your ass. So what did, she have your, what did she have you doing? Well, she cooked physically? for me. Oh, she did. She cooked for me and she showed me – because at the point, I was just making it up. I was just making up what I should or shouldn't mm-hmm. be eating. And I said, oh, I have toast, I'll have tofu, I'll have avocado. I've blah, 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 blah. I was like, I didn't really care, didn't mm-hmm. know. So I worked with her and she basically taught me this are the portions that you need to do this and to, to uh, you know, uh, match the exercise you're doing. So I was riding a lot in the days that I wasn't working out with her. I was on my bicycle. And, but mostly all of it was food. Not much of it all was working out. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was six uh, meals across a day and kale shakes and all that kind of stuff. But what it also taught me was my relationship to hunger was totally skewed because going back to the refugee thing, going back to my parents, hunger was something to be avoided at all costs. Mm-hmm. You should never, ever, ever feel hungry. And I had associated hunger with fear. Like when I was hungry, I was afraid that, of scarcity. Interesting. You know, and so whenever I felt hungry, it was like even if I was on the way home for dinner and it was seven o'clock, if I had that pang of hunger inside me, I'd pull over to a gas station, I'd buy a bar like a nut bar, and I would eat a nut bar mm-hmm. like 300, 400 calories. Yeah, it's a different kind of emotional eating. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of discussion about 
uh, sort of stuffing your emotions with food, but it, it, it generally relates to sort of feelings of self-loathing or anxiety around, you know, other people. There's all that. Or, there is that, but, yeah. but what you're talking about is, is a, sort of a tweak on that. There's that, that feeling of, uh, you know, it's a different kind of anxiety. It's not related to how you feel about yourself. It's your relationship to the world and where you see yourself in it, like mm-hmm. this idea of scarcity. Mm-hmm. I've, I've never heard it explained like that. So knowing that... I just have to wait 20 more minutes and in my fridge, there's a little salad that I'm going to eat and then two hours from now, I'm going to eat the larger meal that she's prepared and I just breathe through it and I, I redefine my relationship to hunger because I didn't realize that I was eating, I was almost like fear-based eating, like I was afraid of hunger, like it was a scary dog barking at me. Mm-hmm. And once I redefined that, it really changed, really changed everything. And so she got me down and I... I now I've still got one of the suits that was tailored for me that I wore out on set one night. I don't know, I just kept it. It's big on me now, that mm-hmm. suit. Interesting. But now it's big on me. So this is an interesting idea, this idea of kind of rewiring your brain through, you know, repetition, like repeated uh repeated actions taken time and time again to kind of reform these pathways in your mind, right? right? So you have to redefine this relationship to hunger and your relationship to food by acting differently until it becomes an embedded yeah. behavior, right? Absolutely. And we were talking before uh, before we turned the, the recorder on about uh, doing that more on a kind of spiritual, mental, emotional level with your yes, running. Absolutely. And how mindfulness has played into kind of your overall like balanced health wellness equation. So we have a few things in common, Rich. We both, uh, we're both men in our 40s. Some would say we look, right. have looked alike in our past. Yes. I was wondering, are you going to put the photo of us you, together as, as the Should I use that artwork? one again? I did that before. Oh, you already did? Okay. And now you have short hair, so yeah, it doesn't gonna, work it's now. not going to work. And you're getting more and more handsome as you're getting older. So it's, <laughs> men are lucky, it's, man. We, I, I disagree that I'm getting more handsome, but <laughs> dudes get old. Get, like, all of the, I love the gray in my beard. <clears throat> so but anyway, so it, that, that, be, that sort of dovetails into what I wanted to talk about, which is sort of mindfulness and being in. Ah. sync with the universe and kind of the difference between and we were talking about this on the phone the other day the difference between when you're kind of forcing yourself to go against the current and when you kind of just turn that canoe and then suddenly you're riding with the current and everything sort of kind of just uh seems easy like things are working out in a different way um so we talked about this when we first spoke about me coming on here and the way that when you talked about repetition and you talked about you know mindfulness exercise i I ran some marathons and and did some stuff before this happened, but it was you know the other thing I said was going to, we have in common is we're both divorced mm-hmm. and we've both been yeah, through I want to talk about that yeah we've both been through that moment where it's complicated <laughs> it's okay not to Julie I'm happily married to Julie over 10 years now but uh, the story that precedes that yeah. I, I, it's it's never yeah. it's never easy man it's <laughs> yeah. never easy um, that moment when you suddenly realize oh it's not going to go the way I thought it was going to go and it was the next day I was training for the LA Marathon with a fascinating Israeli guy by the name of Giddy Grinstein. He was out here on a sabbatical. 
Um, he works in Israel. He works on a, a nonpartisan policy solutions. Like mm-hmm. they play pretty high stakes over there, and so it's nonpartisan where he works. So he he offers policy solutions that cater to both left and right. right. So he's a very very interesting man. Went to the Kennedy School of Politics. Like he's a mm-hmm. really interesting guy, and a marathon runner. And so I'm training for the LA Marathon with him. And so it was the day after. I'm um, you know classic divorced guy staying at my friend's house in the spare room just you know holding myself in the fetal position just wondering what the fuck happens now and i meet him for he the only time he could hear young kids so the only time he can run is at 10 p.m mm-hmm. and so we're heading out for a 12 mile or a 14 mile run through beverly hills at 10 p.m and he says oh are you? i said terrible i you know this is what happened yesterday she asked me for a, you know that, that, that's it i'm getting divorced and he goes that's a bummer. Here's, how, here's what you do. And he, you know, explained to me that he had been through something similar when he was at college. And someone had, either someone had shown him or he had developed that, that if he chanted a positive present tense mantra while he ran, by the end of his run, things felt better. Mm-hmm. It's, this is going to sound kind of strange when I explain it to you, but it, trust me when I tell you it works. He, he spoke about, you know, if you have it as a positive present tense mantra or an if then programming, like if we're in a programming language, we have, we have if then scenarios where mm-hmm. the, the, the program uh, path changes. So if blah, 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 then I blah, blah, blah. If then blah, 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 then I blah, blah, blah. As you run, as mm-hmm. every time my left foot hit the ground, it was like on, on the beat and like was with the breathing at the same time. And so, for example, the first one he taught me was um, that my, my key to freedom from pain was discipline. And that, that's a disciplined mind, a disciplined body, disciplined thoughts and disciplined actions. And like that was what I chanted. Like when we would do laps around UCLA, which is like a four mm-hmm. mile loop. And we'll just mm-hmm. go around and around and around and around and around and around. So you developed your own mantra around that if-then principle. Mm-hmm. And whatever it was bothering me that day, or whatever, like, I remember... So it wasn't the same time on every run. It was specific to It was specific to the day. Through, specific right? whatever was... Whatever I woke... I woke up with... I wake up with, like, a swirling typhoon of, of like, God, you've been... Like, the first few days after you get divorced, your brain is just, like... It's like being at a festival in the middle of all the stages and they're mm-hmm. all, you know, it's like Slayer, Slipknot, Sepultura. It's like all the frightening metal bands and it's all happening at once. All the thoughts coming mm-hmm. at you and it's impossible to escape. So I would, luckily I was training for the LA Marathon. So I had, I just had to get up and run every day. Like at that point, the shortest run I was doing was six miles, 10K. Mm-hmm. And like with one rest day. So I was just like running longer and longer and longer every day. So thankfully I had this every single day. I had this to go out and run and to breathe and to have all those chemicals available to me that get released around the run at the same time as this, this, this rewiring. And I'll never forget there was the one day that it totally unlocked. It was a week later. It was Christmas Day. A week after it all went down, it was Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. And I'm on Christmas Day and very thankfully the same guy that I was staying with said, look, I'm taking the family down to, the, down to Laguna. Come, come down. There's a spare room. You can come and stay with us. So I stayed with him and his family over Christmas, which was really nice. And I was running along the park there on Christmas Day, Christmas morning, I'm running. And I just, I think the chant was really simple, like, I am in acceptance of what is. Oh, no, no, it was, when I'm, 
and like so I figured out that the only time I felt massive pain when I was in what if thinking as in the past and if mm-hmm. only thinking, which is in mm-hmm. the future. So if I was in what is, everything was fine. Mm-hmm. And so the chant, I can't remember it, but the chant was around something along those lines like I am an acceptance of what is. It is what it is and I'm grateful for what it is. It was something like that. And I ran for 10 miles. At the end, so of, the, in- at the end of that run... It was as I was a different human being to the one that left. I left that. I left for that run, like a dejected, bottom lip stuck out, hanging my head. The world's going to end. The sky is falling. I'm getting divorced. My world is over. Put this thought pattern in my head, and then when I came back from that run, what's amazing is the thoughts still come, Rich. The mm-hmm. thoughts still come, but they travel through this new path you've just put in there. That when I feel when I'm in what if, I, I'm grateful for what is. So as soon as the what if thinking comes through, like you just if, put it on the exit ramp, it comes exactly, yeah. and it comes straight out the other side. And, and the first few times it happens, it's almost like, hang on, that it's gone. I thought I was going to go into another panic, but it just went. Right, it just went away. Right, you didn't feed that beast. No, but it happens automatically. That's the right. amazing thing. But you that don't was have only to deliberately process seven it. days after you started That's doing correct. this, right? So That's a consistent correct. practice over the course of just one week mm-hmm. created that shift for you. Absolutely. It was super profound. Mm-hmm. And I've used it since. I've, I used it every day. I used it today. I right, use it were, when I'm doing yoga. Yeah, you were telling me before earlier uh, that you never use earbuds when you run. Never. I, I, I stopped because it was on that week when I was running – it was just there was so much noise in my head. I used to run with music all the time. I had the best playlist. I would like I would run to Dio and Iron Maiden and and LL Cool J. Sometimes I'd run to like mad hip hop. Well, we can we can have a conversation about best or not best. Uh, but anyway, dude. <laughs> seriously, but when I ride, when I ride my bike, I, I have music in. Oh, you do sometimes only for the climbs. Yeah, you got to be careful with that though. I listen, yeah, I listen, uh, not that loud. I listen to like really excellent metal when I'm climbing right. and it's really good. But then it's podcasts on the way down. Um, but I, I stopped listening to music because it was just too much noise in my head and, mm-hmm. and, and I was just chanting. <clears throat> and ever since then, like I, whenever I run, I chant and it's always a present tense, positive and usually always an if then. And it just puts in a new thought program that goes in. So for example... Um, what's an example I can give you? Um, well, it's really like be, it's it's an active practice to kind of do what Eckhart, Eckhart Tolle writes about in yeah. the Power of Now. It's sort yeah. of like you know, don't live in the past, don't live in the future. We're wired to live in those two places and not wired to live in the present. And the idea of of not judging yourself when that thought pops up of a what if or you know, this, this sort of, you know, future thing that hasn't occurred yet or yeah. belaboring something that occurred in the past, just sort of going, okay, and then dismissing it, not giving it any power and sort of gently caressing it over to the exit ramp and then bringing it back to the present and being, bringing it back to the present. Bring it, and then over re- repetition over time, then that's what gets embedded. Only right? takes a couple of miles. Yeah. And I use it now for really specific fine-tuning of things. Um, it's been two and a half years of dating again. It's weird. Mm-hmm. Dating's weird. But it's this one particular incident. It was this one particular woman that I was, you know, I was kind of stuck on an old behavior pattern. And it was around uh, the trigger was when this particular woman did 
a particular thing. I don't want to give out details, but it's like, and it was, if she does this thing, then I blah, blah, blah. I, this is how I react, which was opposite to how I had been reacting. So I went out on a run with that and I came back and then I was around this woman again and she did the thing and automatically, without even thinking, without, oh, I've got to remember to do this, it just happened. Mm-hmm. It just happened without me even right, thinking about you it. Re- you reinforced that. Yeah. And that's the amazing thing about it is it just happens. It's not like, because a lot of the time, like when I'm processing weird thoughts, I, I, it's like heavy lifting sometimes. I have to really think about, like, oh, I've just got to relax about this. I've got to do like, you know, write it down sometimes. And, and mm-hmm. it takes, sometimes it takes a while to get the thoughts out of my head. But when I do this, when I do this running meditation, when I do this chanting, I don't have to do that. The thoughts come in and they run through this pathway that I've put in and they go and I realize, like, oh, that used to freak me out. That, what just happened would have sent me over the edge right. a day ago. And now it's an effortless mm. thing that just but you have to keep it up. because you've been you practicing have to keep it. it. Yeah. And what's interesting is that it's not, it's not just for a moment of crisis. So you have this divorce situation that you're going through and pain motivates this you know, effort to try something new and you see results with that. And now you can use it to sort of tweak and fine tune just how you react naturally mm-hmm. in situations with other people or work stress or, or what have you and kind of rely on that practice. That's fascinating. But it's like, it's like anything. If you, don't, if you don't ride your bike for three months and you try and ride out of your house and then mm-hmm. back again, it's going to hurt yeah. and you'll be out of shape. You've got to keep it in shape. You've got to keep the blade sharp. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that I, that I, have, that I learned a lot. You're like, I, you have to be, it's a constant practice. It's a daily practice. It can't be anything else. It's just, it's, I, I treat my mental health <clears throat> the way I deal with my, cause I, I deal with anxiety and depression mm-hmm. and I, I, I treat the way I manage my anxiety and depression as I would treat my fitness. Uh, it's a daily thing that I do something every day to push that and to keep it in a certain way. I try not to get out of shape into shitty thinking or, or, or thinking that doesn't help me or help others around me. Yeah, I mean, maintenance is a lot easier than rubber banding. Totally. You know? Yeah. But when you figure that out, let me know how that works. But I, dude, seriously, just, though. This is like my thing. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's very, it takes a lot of discipline every day. Like, okay, what are the things that I'm doing to propel me into a growth mode as opposed to a regressive mode? You can't, I, I've learned that if I'm lazy about how I deal with those thoughts and I, I deal with how I, if, if I'm lazy and if I'm careless with how I deal with my anxiety and my depression, if I, you know, just like at the moment, I'm not sleeping, man. Like mm-hmm. I got to bed at 1.30, I was up at 5.30. I just lie there. It's like, God, why? <laughs> you know? And then like I knew I was coming here. I was, uh, my whole plan was I was going to come out here. I was going to ride. I was going to come back and just be a god. <laughs> like all that went to the All the endorphins the, rushing. Oh, yeah, the totally. All that went down right the down toilet. The podcast seat. All that went down the toilet. And so. Well, if it makes you feel better, I woke up at three o'clock this morning, wide awake. Right. I couldn't sleep either. So. Right. This um, is a podcast of the zombies today. <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid it is. <laughs> so, but I've got to be really careful about that. And part of that is because I'm on this. At the moment, I'm, I'm, I'm just like, I'm drinking far too much caffeine. I'm drinking far too much tea. So I'm staying up later than I should. And then I'm smashing it hard in the morning again. So I've got to, you know, I've, I've got to look at that because that's me being careless about how I manage mm-hmm. my, my mood through the day and my ups and downs through the day. But then there's things that are available to me to make me feel better. Like before I come over here, I'm like, I can't walk into Rich's house with this. That's, you know, it's, it's like walking in with a giant bag of garbage mm-hmm. that's been sitting in the sun all day. It's like, hey, it's me and this. Mm-hmm. Hi, both of us walking together. I didn't want to pollute your home with that. 
but I was running out of time and da da da. So I just did it's quite simply. I just did some really simple sun salutations, threw the yoga mat out, mm-hmm. and just got into a cycle of breathing and some sun salutations, uh, which is a yoga move that involves basically like an upside down hairpin and then you go to a uh, like a, a push-up and then you come down from a push-up and then you, you go through yeah. the vinyasana yeah, yeah it's not a it's try not and a look big, at the it's back not of a big deal it's a very simple thing yeah. and it's amazing how just a little thing like that can shift your energy regulating your my breathing mm-hmm. doing a little just a baby chant not a big one just a mm-hmm. just you know just a really simple just to bring myself to the presence and just be really well like as the muscles start to warm up and then just the feeling, the flood of uh, those chemicals get released. Ah, oh, there it is. Okay, great. Right. Uh, it only took me 15 minutes, 10 minutes. I jumped in the shower and I came here. And it's all good. It's, yeah, that and, and knowing that I had a kale shake and I got, oh, it's probably more of my blood sugar. Yeah, and yeah. So I throw a kale shake into me and then. And it's, uh, you know, 80 degrees out in February. Coming out here with your, so. you know, to be around, you know, your, your beautiful home and your beautiful family, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, it's, it's good, man. But then. It's 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 it is it is management. I look at it just as I look at at any other kind of fitness. I really do. And mm-hmm. if the, if you look, if you get slack on it, you stuck. You're going to have bad form, and then you get injured. And that's basically. And it's the same with how you're thinking. Right. It's the same with how you're thinking. Mm-hmm. You start to think in in and let your thoughts take you into darkness, or, or always move you through the, the sky's going to fall, or a negative town, or or assuming the worst, or worthlessness, or anything like that. Eventually, if you keep going in that direction, eventually you're going to make decisions that you'll find yourself in a really poor way, and you're going to injure yourself or others, you know, emotionally. Right. I mean, if somebody's listening to this, and this is a foreign language to them, and they're thinking, well, that's interesting, but how do I take that first step? Like, what would you suggest to somebody who is a complete stranger to the idea of mindfulness or meditating or trying to get the upper hand with the, you know, haywire thinking brain. I would think about money. Okay. What's money in America? It's a piece of paper. You and I have an agreement over what that piece of paper means. And we put an enormous amount of meaning on that piece of paper. We will do all kinds of things for various volumes of these pieces of paper. It's just a piece of paper. But the meaning we ascribe to it changes how we behave around to it. In the same way, the meaning we ascribe to anything changes how we behave around anything. But we have to realize that we are giving that meaning to whatever it is. We bestow that meaning upon the piece of paper. If you showed money to someone who'd never seen money or understood the concept of money, they'd be like, that's unreal. We can start the fire really well now. Thank mm-hmm. you. Well, they might even know that it burns. All right. It's the same with anything. It's the same with, uh, like yesterday, I, I pitched a show at like a, a very, very, very big uh, television producer. It was essentially, you know, it was a kind of show that this guy is very famous for making. It was essentially like playing guitar in front of Hendrix. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he sent me an email going, hey, man, it was really great, but it's not for us. He passed. And I sat there and the email just kind of slammed me in the face. And I was kind of like, why am I upset? Oh, because I gave it that it was important that he said yes. I gave it that meaning, right? Well, you put energy into an expectation. Precisely. And, and that outcome. And then you sort of fast forward through that. If, if there's more of an if then, like if he says yes and this goes forward, then yeah. I get this. And then exactly. I get to move here. And then this will happen. But none those of those things of are real. Will be, yeah. None of those things are real. They're right. all invented. They're all, it's all in a possible future that I am creating, inventing in my brain. None of those things exist right now. 
And so I had a breath and I'm like, oh, because I put all this meaning that it's really important that this person says yes. It's, it's, just, it's just one more meaning that, and that's how it ended up. It doesn't mean anything that it did or didn't end up. The fact that I, even, the fact that I took the meeting is what mattered. That's all that matters. The action matters. The yes, outcome doesn't precisely. matter. Precisely. So I don't know if particularly business. that answers your question, but if, you, if, if, this is, if you're suddenly confronted by something, tr- try and have a look at the meaning that you're ascribing mm-hmm. to it and see, like, there's this fantastic book called The Art of Possibility, which um, I'm reading at the moment. And it's the, the, the line in that book, it's, um, what am I assuming that I don't realize that I'm assuming that it gives me what I see? What can I invent that I have not yet invented that could give me other choices. That pretty much boils it down. Mm-hmm. Like, what am I assuming that I don't realize that I'm assuming? Oh, I'm putting enormous importance on this person saying yes to me because I want his approval, because I want a, a boat, because I want to make this television show. Oh, that's why I feel the way I feel, because I didn't realize that I put this much meaning upon this answer. What can I invent that I haven't yet invented that can give me other choices? I can invent that... This is great because it's one more meeting less until the meeting that says yes. Unreal. Right. Like that can be my invention. That's much more helpful than the glib sort of, uh, well, you know, God's got a better plan for you. You know what I mean? When somebody says that, it just angers me, even though it's true, you know? My my, my mentor says that all (laughs) the time. But for me, what is helpful is to take a step back and go, I don't have all the information. I think that I know what I want and what's good for me. But if I, tr- if, I, if I look back over the course of my life at the number of times when I wanted something and thought that would be the thing that would be good for me or would set me in a good trajectory and then didn't get it, generally I'm grateful now that the thing that I thought that I wanted I didn't get because I didn't have all the information that I have now about my life. And so I look back at that. And then I project that into, not that, you know, projecting into the future is a good idea, but if you're spinning out of control because of some future outcome to just sit and say, I don't have all the information. I don't know what's in my best interest. I'm holding on so tightly to this idea that this is going to change my life or be good for me. Or if that guy says yes, or what have you. And I just don't know that that's true. There is, there's actually no evidence that that's true. It's completely imagined. There's also no evidence that it's going to end up in the toilet like your brain might be telling you. Mm-hmm. There's none at all. Right. It's all it invention. Works both ways. So if you're going to invent it, you may as well invent the good end rather than the bad end. Mm-hmm. You may as well. And for anyone that thinks that, oh, that's just being a Pollyanna or, or blah, 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 allow me to point out to you, and it's in the same book they point this out, that – an optimist versus a pessimist, like the people who see the glass half full are in fact being more realistic because the glass is actually half full. The people who see it as half empty are talking about something that's not there. Mm-hmm. They're talking about an invention of reality. That's something that is invented in their minds. But if you look at it as half full, you're basing your opinion on real fact. This is what we have. This is how much food we have. This is how much money we have. Not this is how much money we don't have. Because how much money we don't have is invented. How much money we do have is real. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a lot to take in if, if this is brand new to you. Right. But maybe those two concepts could possibly... Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, uh, you know, if you're looking to take a first step, it might be easier or more digestible to just look at a scenario and say, what can I control and what can I control? And let me focus on the things that maybe I could control. Like I can control... Uh, whether I show up at, on time for the meeting, I can control that. I can't control 
what the guy thinks about what comes out of my mouth. I can't control the yes or no. I can only control my side of the street. So do a good job. And then when it's done, you let go of it. You do what you need to do to get present and not live in that future possibility. And then move on to the next thing and immediately immerse yourself in the next thing that you should be doing to move forward. Absolutely. But that is that is the doing the good job is the victory. Right. Not them saying yes. If they say yes, great. Unreal. You mm-hmm. can go and do a good job there. But doing the good job is doing the taking the meeting, doing the thing, running the race, being married, whatever. That's the thing because that exists. That exists. Mm-hmm. And if you can do that the very best you can, Theoretically, you should sleep great. Yeah. <laughs> Not get up at five. Easier said than done, right? Yeah, exactly. I'm the I'm the one who woke up at three, and you were up at five fifteen, oh, right? So, so these are these are uh, you know these are are on some level Jedi mind tricks that you can spend your lifetime trying to perfect. But is it is mind tricks, man? It is my. It's it's no. I don't see it any different to someone adjusting your running cadence or your running form so you don't have knee problems or foot problems. I see it no different than that. Or someone stroke correcting you if you're in the pool. I see it absolutely no differently than that. It's somewhat, why is someone stroke correcting you? So you don't take 150,000 strokes that's going to destroy your left shoulder because you, you've got a, a, the way your elbow's coming out of the water. Mm-hmm. If you do that 150,000 times over the course of your career, you're going to need to get your shoulder. You just won't be able to swim anymore, basically. But if someone says, hey, if you just drop your this or lift your little finger up like that, it's going to be way easier mm-hmm. and you'll be more efficient. I don't see it any differently mm-hmm. at all. And when you think about it like that, like there's a dear friend of mine who is, is just being punished, punished, punished by anxiety. And, and, and we were talking and, and I said, mate, and he, said, and he had to take the day off work. I said, if you took the day off work because something was wrong with your knee, you'd be in the doctor's hospital. You'd be in the doctor's office right now. He goes, yeah, I would. And I would have had a rehab program at the physiotherapist already set up. I'm like, exactly. So why are you not going to see someone to help you with the thinking? Mm-hmm. Because you st- you're not working. You're just as unable to function. There's still a stigma attached to that, though, I think. You know, I think it's still like, oh, if you're going to see somebody about the way that you think, that there must be inherently something wrong with you, as opposed to, no, I want to dial things up. I mean, if you're an athlete and you're going to see a sports psychologist. No one blinks. Um, yeah, no one blinks. It, I mean, it didn't always used to be that way. It was like a baseball pitcher who just, you know, suddenly lost his form and can't, you know, can't throw it down the middle anymore or what, you know, his, he's lost the spin on his curveball or whatever, had to go get his head sorted out, you know, and that that's a problem. But now I really think that it's the difference between the gold medal and the silver medal because – all these athletes are incredibly talented, as talented as, you know, more talented than ever. You watch the Olympics, it's insane what people are doing. They're all training super hard. They're now getting more focused on diet. So even there's, there's more parity there than there used to be. So what's left? It's like, exactly. well, what's going on upstairs? Yep. What's going on with you emotionally, mentally, spiritually? How are your relationships? All of these things and having the understanding that you can actually work on those in a productive way that's going to translate into performance gains if you're an athlete or professional gains if you're in the workforce or an improvement in your the intimacy of your relationships all of these things i mean it's crazy it and i i have a team dude <laughs> yeah well everybody should have a team you know everybody should have a should team have a, i have my that doesn't mean you that doesn't mean you know paying like find your mentors these are totally. just people you call they're, they're, they don't have to be people you're paying you know no. so these are just you 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 have the right and the responsibility and almost the imperative if you want to 
you know, maximize I think about who you like, are to have your board of advisors. When you were talking about when you were crewing at Badwater, and I think, yeah, it's like, what is it? You're, there's someone doing something very, very hard running this enormous race across this, you know, terrifying desert. Not everyone's going to do that, but life is very, very hard. All right. And, and the, the, just generally just like getting up, catching the bus, putting your iPod in, trying to ignore the person that smells terrible with horrible breath on the bus next to you, getting to work, your boss is an asshole, a billion emails, another meeting, another spreadsheet, da, 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 run downstairs, grab some lunch, come back, da, 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 same four hours again, coffee hit in the afternoon, back on the train, da, 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 try and see someone to have some sort of social life, watch the news to try and catch up, try and see one tiny little bit of house of cards. Oh my God, bed at 11 o'clock, <laughs> got to do it again the next day. Uh-huh. Life is hard, dude. Life is hard. Yeah, so just who's in your crew? Doesn't man? matter what. So that's the thing. Like, everyone should have that van full of people driving next to them in the middle of the night going, uh-huh. it's going to be cool, man. We've got heaps of supplies. If you get a little weird, I'll come and run with you. Um, it's going to be fine. We've got spare shoes. I can talk you through this part. I can talk you through that part. No one blinks that an athlete would have a, a crew van full of people as support when they're trying, trying to do such an enormous task. Well, get, get this, life is hard. Life is an enormous task. And it's no, it, it shouldn't be a, a, any kind of stigma attached to the fact mm-hmm. that you don't do it alone, that you have a team of people. In the old days, that was the family unit. That was your brothers, your father's brothers, your uncles, your aunts, like the, you know, in the tribe of 140, mm-hmm. there was, those we people were- Yeah, we don't live that way anymore. Precisely. And so we're so, isolated and we're lonely. Have those people in your de- life. We're depressed and, and we have trouble connecting and then we start taking, you know, medications for that and- Yeah, legal and illegal. I mean? Right. You know, <laughs> yeah. alcohol, c- c- for sugar, sure. nicotine, <clears throat> top three, man. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, because it's not, we're not wired to live the way that we, the, so, the, the, the way that modern society is. I've got, like, I've got, Les, my, my doctor in Sydney that is an absolute legend I've, you know I'm, I'm I don't know I don't think dating is not the right word I'm trying out a new shrink here, <laughs> in, here in LA you know I'm just kind of like early on we're just trying to figure it out um there's there's my mentor there's people like you in my life I've got a hypnotist I've got a, my meditation a teacher huh <laughs> My hypnotist is rad. You've got to meet him, man. I want to, yeah, I'd li- I would like to meet he that guy. He lives behind me. He lives he in Canals. Of course he does. Right? He lives in Venice, man. Of course he does. He's a fascinating cat. Yeah, you'd dig him. It's mm-hmm. pretty wild, pretty wild stuff. Um, but yeah, there's like a, there's a bunch of people that well, we can, and, I rely on. Yeah, and you have, to, you have to be careful in who you select to be on that team too. You know, they have to be people that, that uh, I mean, I think most importantly that you feel you can be honest with, that you can open up mm-hmm. with, and really tell people what's going on in your life, and, and people that are living lives that you aspire to, so that you're surrounding yourself with positive people. And to get back to this mindfulness issue, you know, you start to become more and more aware of just how the extent to which so many people are just they're on autopilot running some program. And like I'll do it. Julie says you're running that program again. And I go, oh, yeah, you know, I need to change that chip out, you know, because I'll get into some old behavior thinking pattern that's self-defeatist or whatever, and she can identify it like that. She oh, sees wow, it. you're so lucky. And so, you know, and everybody knows what it's like to be, to have negative people around them, like the person who's, who's always complaining about the weather or whatever it is. They're just, they're running a program. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They need to have their system rebooted. They need to have run antivirus on it or something like that. And mindfulness and these practices that are so simple and yet still so difficult for me, at least to practice on a consistent basis, even though they're so easily accomplished, even easier when you describe them, can really shift those patterns. And it's available to you. And the the fact that neuroplasticity, the fact that our brains can learn new things, the fact that we can grow new neural connections, 
is one of the true miracles of, of our physiology that we not only heal like a scar will heal, but our brain can heal and we can rewire it. We can change, we can take negative thought patterns mm-hmm. and, and, you know, build new highways around them. So, and we can still be present. Oh yeah, that's that thing that I used to do. But now you're observing it. You're not being it. Mm-hmm. And these things are available. And, and but the, I guess, you know, people come on your show and they say, and then I rode across the world and then I ran from one side of America to the other and then I did the ran around Australia. Like, so I guess my version of that is that I, after, you know, after I got divorced, it's, I'm not the only guy that's going to happen to. It's a popular sport. Things are pretty tough. And it ended up with me. Um, I was unemployed. I'm in a foreign country. I'm paying rent out of my savings. I'm super alone. I'm like, all right how do I get out of this? Mm. And that's, that was a little over a year ago. A little mm. more. Actually, no, it was actually right after the divorce that I started doing all this stuff and it allowed me to get through losing that job and allowed me to get through, you know, it got me through the massive change that happens after a divorce in your life and, and I was able to ride that out and, without doing too much damage to myself mm-hmm. and come back out the other side whereas now I'm more... I, I'd, I'd say to myself, I'm, I would say to you that I'm more, I think I'm, I feel more professional than ever. I feel more accomplished at what I do than ever. I'm sharper than ever. I'm fitter than ever. Um, I'm more value to the people that employ me than I've ever been in my career. I get the job done because I take care of the vessel that I have to get the job done with. Mm-hmm. I love working. I love what I do. I love my job. I love... I love podcasting. I love it. And none of it is possible if I don't keep this, this fitness not only in my body but also in my mind. Mm-hmm. And some days and I'm the lazy, great, man. The, well, the great irony in that is that it really was the divorce that catalyzed this shift. It really yeah. made you focus yeah, on these was. things that are now – you know, that, that pushed you into this place where you are now. And that's, again, yeah. you know, evidence of not knowing what's best for you and who could have ever predicted that you would feel that way about this event that occurred in your life. And I think it brings up a really important issue, which is just the idea of men going through divorce. It's, it's you know, if, if a woman's going through a divorce, there are lots of resources and mm. people to talk to, and there's, you know, there's a whole thing around that. But, like, when men are getting divorced... Maybe they have their one buddy that they talk to, but someone hands you a bottle not, of Jack and says, yeah, "Get over like, it. Let's yeah, go like, to Vegas. Yeah, let's yeah, let's go party <laughs> or whatever." And there isn't a healthy protocol yeah. that is readily available that the average guy can grab onto, like a lifeline to see his way through this. I had to create one, and this is a yeah. this is an epidemic. I mean, you know, divorces. You know, I mean, it's. I don't even know what the right word is. I always say commonplace, but I guess um, there are so many men, people, you know, I don't want to just focus on men, but, you know, men in particular, I think, um, suffer in a way that women don't because socially it's not acceptable to process the emotions of what's going on in a safe, comfortable way. You know, not everybody is going to react to it the way that you did. You know, the, the more the more typical reaction is what you just said, like, let's go to Vegas, let's party, let's, you know, and, 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 and that begets a downward spiral, yes. at least emotionally, it's or good for at a minimum is going to delay the process of, of getting over it. And I think implicit in what you shared 
was the idea of feeling the emotions when they occurred, not trying to repress them, but to be present with them, to understand that they will pass and they're not going to kill you and that the only healthy way through it is to actually allow yourself to feel them and experience them. I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. And, you know, I, I, I won't go into details, but div- yeah, divorce is as painful as you think it is. All right. And as hard as it was and as painful as it was, I can only be grateful that it happened because who I am now, I get to now live the rest of my life not being the guy that took that, that, that whose, whose very best thinking got him divorced. Mm-hmm. Like that was the very best that I could do. The best ideas that I had, I got divorced. But now I get to live the rest of my life not being that guy. And it was quite a price to pay, but I'm very, very grateful. I'm very grateful. Yeah, and not, not grinding in resentment nah, man. all the way to your deathbed over what occurred. And I think that's... I was the, that... I was the, yeah. That was... I mean, the, the, the great thing, one of the great things that got me, got me around that was at the time I found a book. And I've talked about this on my show. Um, take whatever complaint you have and you just put the words, of course, in front of it. So give me an example on that. I had a national radio show. It was amazing. I did it for years. It was really, really fun. And they replaced me with someone younger. Of course. Right. I'm 38 at the time. I'm talking about pop stars that are 16 years old. I'm 18 years out of the demo. Of course they'll get someone younger to do the show. All right. Makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. Look at the ratings. Of course. I get it. Like rather than how dare they blah 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 this much mm. rather than be like grabbing onto it with both fists, you put the word of course in front of it. Like, it of course, de- it depersonalizes the entire yeah. Like thing. Oh, the other day when he passed on my show, of course he passed on the show. If it wasn't right, if it was right, he would have said yes. Mm-hmm. What can I change about it? How can I make it better? How can I? Or who would be a who better else can I take it to? It. Precisely, yeah. of course. And it f- instantly it, it shows you... Or what is the show that he needs that he's looking for and yeah. how can I be of service to that? It changes it, man. It changes it like in a blink. It changes it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a tiny little trick. Like you said, it's a Jedi mind trick. It's a tiny little trick you can throw in when you're in that resentment, when you're in that complaint, when you're in the every, everything's against me. Like, of, of course this happened because blah. Like, of course that like today down in Venice, this woman was angry at me for, I don't know, whatever in traffic. But of course she's angry. She, she may be just coming back from the doctors and getting terrible news. Of course, she's shouting at me through the window mm-hmm. because she may be on the phone to someone. Of course, something else is going on in her life that this is the only outlet for her anger. Of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, it's cool, man. Yeah, that is cool. <laughs> I like that. That would have saved me a lot of time getting over my marriage fiasco <laughs> back in the day. Where were you? I, you? I needed you in my crew van back then. Oh. I don't think you were suited for Maybe it. Maybe that's the then. name of that. I tell you what, <laughs> that's name. That's like remember Clooney and Up in the Air. What's in your backpack? Yeah. Who's in your Who's, who's in, in your, your crew, crew van? van? The new book from Rosh Ginsburg and Rich Roll. <laughs> Rich and Osher talking through getting divorced. Yeah. <laughs> or you could re, you could rename your podcast that the Crew Van. <laughs> we'll sell PDFs yeah. online through a sales funnel for nineteen ninety five. Exactly. That's so funny. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I look back on that, that experience of attempting to marry this person many years ago and having it 
worked not to say it didn't work out is such an understatement. I mean, it was a travesty of ridiculousness, of course, given who I was at that moment in time and how I was behaving, of course. I would say the same for my, I yeah. mean, of course, my marriage, my marriage ended up the way it mar- ended up. Of course. Mm-hmm. When I look at the life I was living and how I was, of course. And that helps me see the perspective from the other side as well. Mm-hmm. And it helps me take responsibility for my role. It helps me take responsibility for my role in anything, in anything. Of course, this person doesn't want to be my friend. Look at how I've mm-hmm. been. I'm not, you know, like whatever it gets it is. tricky though, because you don't, that could be used in a negative way to beat yourself up. I think the idea is that you, you know, then, you know, you don't use it like, all the way to the like, end. Yeah, it just of helps course you. nobody likes me. <laughs> you don't use it all the way to that. Of course I deserve Rich. to, you know, no, but you know so. what I'm saying? Like you use it, you use it. To, I use it to help me get out of stuck, you know, stuck moments. Right. Um, and, and it's very helpful. And, I don't know. One of these days I'm going to come here and tell you about, you know, some enormous athletic achievement. <laughs> yeah, well, let's plan it right now and then I can hold you accountable. On a well, there's one in the works, man. I'm trying to get yeah. you down for it, yeah. Um, your mate who runs a mile every year that he's alive? Ah, yes, Mike Rouse. So, Did you talk to him? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, good. I oh, know, just through email. But he's a great guy. I heard about him before you put me in touch with him. And I got super inspired about, I should do that. I should run a mile for every Mm -hmm. year I've been alive and and do a thing around it. So I'm trying to do a thing like that in Sydney in August. Very cool. I'm trying to do it. Yeah. We're trying to, trying to get it together. That's cool. Uh, Andy Baldwin does that as well. Do you know Andy Baldwin? Not yet. He, uh, he was a, he was a bachelor. Oh, on the American version of The Bachelor. Right on. He's friends with Mike Rouse too. And he's a, he's a big Ironman triathlete, marathon runner, sort of an ambassador of sport. He's a cool guy. And uh, he started doing that too. He's been running his, uh, his age every year. Yeah. Inspired well, by Mike Rouse. Yeah, I want to do it. I think, I think so, it's, a, it's a great idea. I think my birthday, my so actual 40, birthday. You're turning 40 in six weeks. Yeah, but I want to do it in Australia, so there's more. Because uh, I want to do a, a charity thing around the Indigenous Marathon Project. Right. And um, try and raise some awareness around that. So we're working on it. That's cool. We're That's a great organization. Yeah, it really is. I'll have to come and tell you about more. That, tell you about that more one time. Yeah. But I don't know. For my birthday, I don't think I don't know. My fortieth birthday, I think I might. I think I want to ride a hundred miles or something like for my fortieth birthday. You should. Yeah. I mean, you've been banging out fifty mile rides pretty consistently, right? So I haven't done a century. I haven't done a century of miles yet. Uh, I think fortieth would be a good day to do it. Yeah, I think yeah, I, I can give you some routes. Yeah, yeah. You want to come for some of it? Yeah. You don't maybe. have to come for all of it. Yeah, no, I'd like to. That'd I'd like fun. to. Be a good, I think that'd be a fun... Oh, there's so much pressure. You know, it's like it's your 40th. What are you going to do? You're going to have mm. some sort of giant party and you hear... I hear about stories of dudes 40th. You know, because it does well, it's Yeah, but it's, it's the same thing we were talking about with money and paper. Yeah, right. You're, it's like the meaning that I'm ascribing to a 40th birthday. Yeah. But it's almost impossible to not approach 40 and it, it's a natural moment where you begin to take stock and in inventory of what's going on in your life and there's yeah. a there's a good part to that too so I'd, re- I'd really like to like have my 40th day on this earth but i just rode 100 miles that was awesome uh, well i think we can make that happen damn that'd be sick it's a saturday uh, too oh really yeah there might even be a century scale there's century like organized century rides all the time really yeah i'll i'll, I'll dial you in on some we'll websites. get dmac in We'll yeah, try and get Dmac in because he's yeah, he's working hard. Mm-hmm. Daniel McPherson. Yeah, he's uh, is he back in LA now? Yeah, he got back two days ago. 
He did. Just good. smashing it. Cool. Yeah. yeah, he's he's training for another try. So good. Oh, dude, I we'll have to get him in the podcast dude. too. He's got quite. He's got such a such a tale to tell. Mm-hmm. He's fast. He's very fast, <laughs> and he's got a great story. He's a really cool guy. Lovely. And I see. The last time I saw him was literally a mile up the road from my house. I was driving by and I saw him on the bike. It was right. And he was right before he went back to Australia. Yeah, he's got that custom with giant with the pink paint so, job. Yeah, it's hard to miss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's a lovely man. Yeah, I really, I'm really grateful. He's in. Uh, he's in Los Angeles. Isn't more Australians. I think London's the biggest population and LA's the second biggest population of Australians. I'm not surprised. I mean, this is, you know, the climate's the same. It seems like, you know, sort of the social environment is similar. And the industry. There's the industry, a film and television right. industry here that right, is, right, is right. much larger than ours. <laughs> um, well, cool, man. Well, let's, I think we should wrap it up on that. All right, brother. Yeah, man. Thanks for dropping by. Are you kidding me, Rich? I'm just so grateful to be here, man. I really... Oh, well, uh, next I, time, come up, we'll ride, and we'll go for a run in the woods or something like that. Oh, do it, right? I'll never forget the first time you took me running up the street. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. That just... Malibu Creek State Park. Folks don't understand. People complain about L.A., but this LA, is... We're a little bit out of, you know, we're... It's a, took me 45 minutes to get yeah. here from Venice. It's a hike. It's a commitment. That's nothing. I know, but when you live in LA, that's nothing. If you live somewhere else, that's like, oh my yeah. God, you're, you're leaving town, you know? But the fact that we are in Los Angeles and I'm looking at mountains with hawks and there's coyotes and we can go a mile down the street and how far away it is. I don't know American too much. Um, and there's this just back to the metrics. Wilderness. Just wilderness everywhere, mm-hmm. everywhere. We were, I was riding up um, to Panga the other day with Adam Garoni, who runs Movember. Mm-hmm. He's a great, he's a great guy. You should get him on, man. Yeah, he's, I'd love to. I've never met him. Oh, amazing human being. How much money do you think Movember has raised since I, I started? No, I, I have no idea. Have a guess. Throw it one out there. I don't know. $100 million? Higher. Really? Uh-huh. $200 million? Higher. No way. $600 wow. million. Wow, I had no dollars. idea. 10 years, 11 years. Did you get the Men of Triathlon calendar? No, I did not. Oh, you didn't? I'll show it to you. I think I have it with me. Um, oh, wait, I think I do. I have it in my bag. Oh, it's right over there. I'll show you in a minute. So the, uh, a group of pro- professional triathletes, because it's a big thing in the tri world. There's a lot of guys that do Movember. And for people who are listening who don't know, it's a, it's a charity organization to raise funds for cancer research. Uh, yeah, uh, prostate cancer and mental health. Mm-hmm. Men's, and so, it's the largest men's health movement. On Earth, right, and men grow their mustache for the month of mm-hmm. November, right, and uh, and take pictures of it and yeah. incessantly Instagram it. That's fantastic. <laughs> so, so this group of uh, professional male triathletes were all doing it, and they were all trying to raise money, but they weren't being very successful in their ability to actually raise the money, right? So they decided, well, what are we going to do? It's it's getting close to the end of the month, and it's pretty pitiful like, how much money they'd raised. So they got together and. Uh, and decided they were going to do a, a men's calendar. Yes. So in the tradition of the fireman's calendar, oh, like, they wear their mustaches and in sort of, you know, yeah. sort of ironically, you know, posed and the, the like. It's really funny. So it's like uh, Luke McKenzie's doing it, uh, Matt Lieto, uh Jesse Thomas, like a bunch of the guys. That, if I was know, a pro athlete, I'd be getting my shirt off every five so, seconds too. <laughs> yeah, I know. No, this is very tongue in cheek. That was very funny. Well, anyway, I was anyway. I was I was riding up to Panga with Garoni on a, and a, we were on our bikes, and he just said, "He's like, there's no other city in the world, no other city in the world where you can be in a metropolis, and on a bicycle, forty minutes later, be in the wilderness, mm-hmm. like from Venice to Topanga, and we're just it's just amazing mm-hmm. what's available in this city." It's, yeah, it we're pretty lucky. We're pretty lucky living here. 
pretty amazing. Rich, I, I like it. So grateful you're in my life, man. All right, man. Likewise, <laughs> dude. Thanks for coming up. Hey, no worries. Thanks All right, man. Peace. So for uh, people that want to check out uh, where Osher's coming from, you got to dial up his uh, podcast, man. Yeah, man. Osher Ginsberg podcast. And you can find me on Twitter at Osher Ginsberg. Mm-hmm. Can I do it? And that's, what are the two dots over the U called? It's called an umlaut. Um, I thought an umlaut was the... No, what's the one where it kind of curls up like a half moon? Don't care. Don't Me, Motley Crue, and Motorhead. <laughs> All yes, right. Umlaut over the U. And uh, yeah, Osh- and then you're at, where else? You're on Instagram. Uh, Oshigensberg.com. Everywhere. Uh, yeah. Right, O-S-H-E-R-G-U-N-S-B-E-R-G. Cool. Thank uh, you, Rich. Can yeah, I say it? Yeah. Peace. Peace. Plants. Plants. <laughs> All right. That's our digital nugget for this week. I hope you enjoyed it in your ears and in your brain and in your heart. Uh, if you've been a fan of Osher for some time, I hope you learned something new. I hope you uh, see him or know him or got to know him in a different light. And uh, if you've never heard of Osher before, well, there you go. Maybe you learned something and I hope you enjoyed it. I enjoyed treat, 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 treat. I enjoyed talking to him and uh, hope you feel the same. So make sure uh, you check out his podcast, Links are in the show notes at richroll.com and leave your comments on this episode at richroll.com on that same page. Before we close it out, I have a couple of appearances coming up. Uh, you can check all of that at, uh, at, on, at richroll, on richroll. I never know which one it is. Uh, there's an appearance section that I'm always updating. But in any event, April 1st, I'm going to be at Colorado College. Pretty excited about uh, doing that. Really love going to colleges and, and talking to kids. That's open to the community. So um, there's a link to more information on my site. April 30th, I'll be at the Burlington Performing Arts Center in Ontario, Burlington, Ontario. That's Canada. Uh, it's an event hosted by Edvika Health, and uh, that is shaping up to be quite a large event, which is pretty cool too. Again, a link up on my site for more information. On May 2nd, the Holistic Health D- Diary, Dare I almost said Dairy, the Holistic Health Diary Retreat in London, Ontario. Why is it that Canada names its cities after other cities and make it confusing? Not London, England, London, Ontario. Not Burlington, Vermont, Burlington, Ontario. Um, And that's going to be really cool. Julie and I are doing it uh, with Ange Peters and and Jillian Manbeck, who are uh, the women behind the Holistic Health Diary podcast. They are extreme wellness advocates uh, in the London area, and they're super cool. So if you're around there, uh, sign up, man. It's going to be a good time. And then May 4th, I'm doing an event in Toronto as well. It's going to be open to the public. I'm told there will be a uh, website up or a splash page or something like that with additional information on that very, very soon. Uh, so you can check my site uh, to see if I've updated it. And I will let everybody know through Twitter and Facebook and all that kind of stuff. So want to support the show? Tell a friend. That's the best way. We love that. Uh, but if you want to go the extra mile, the Amazon banner ad at richroll.com. That is awesome because what it means is when you go to buy something on Amazon, as we are wont to do, you just click on the Amazon banner ad at richroll.com first. takes you over to Amazon. Do whatever you're going to do. Buy what you're going to buy. It will not cost you one cent extra. There is no additional charge, but Amazon will pay us out of their bank account a little commission change. And that's been awesome. You guys have been amazing at doing that. And that's allowed me to pay my son, Tyler, to produce the show, to create the videos, to write the music, to do all the kind of heavy lifting and hard work that it takes to put this thing up every week. And I thank you. And he thanks you for that. If you want to go the extra mile, you can donate 
subscribe at richroll.com on a weekly, monthly basis by donating a dollar amount of your choice. Uh, and it's amazing to me that people are doing that. So thank you. Um, review on iTunes. Please give a review on iTunes if you're enjoying the show. Those reviews really help us out. So it'll take you like 10 seconds to go to the show page on Amazon and you know, click the number of stars you want to give it and write whatever comes to your mind. I'm not telling you what to write. Just it would be great if you uh, could put a review up there. So uh, want to learn more about getting plant-based? Maybe Osher inspired you to get more plants in your diet. Check out our ultimate guide to plant-based nutrition on Mind Body Green. Three and a half hours of streaming online video content and online community, downloadable tools, recipes, all kinds of good stuff. Uh, that is on the homepage at mindbodygreen.com. And of course, go to richroll.com for all your plant power provisions. We've got the plant power t-shirts up there. We're working on a cycling kit, uh, just dialing in the design right now. And that's going to be super awesome and lots of new products on the horizon. So we have a vitamin B12 supplement. We've got an athletic recovery uh, nutrition product, the t-shirts, signed copies of Finding Ultra, blah, 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 lots of good stuff. So do that. And you can also read my musings there on my blog. You can like me on Facebook. Twitter, Instagram, I'm at Rich Roll, easy to find, and uh, that's it. I've been going on too long. I'm out of here. Thanks, everybody. Uh, appreciate you tuning in. I realize, recognize, and appreciate that you have many choices uh, for your precious free time with respect to uh, content out there, and it means a lot to me that you took a chance on me, you're tuning in, and uh, I love it. So thank you. All right, everybody, have a great week, and I'll catch you next time. Peace. Plants. Yeah.